Last year in a pub in northern England, uh, several patrons, uh, employees, and an Oasis cover band was stranded for three days because of a snowstorm in the pub. And uh, when they were rescued three days later, many of them were very sad to leave after three days of being stranded in the pub. Because in that time, they played a ton of pub trivia games, uh, they watched movies like Mamma Mia together, and they sang karaoke. And they cleverly called their experience together Snowasis. Well, they truly made the most of their time together. And they promised it wasn't simply because they drank the whole time that they were together. Well, maybe you can think of worse places to be stuck than singing Wonderwall over and over again. That's an Oasis song, if you didn't know. But here we're going to see this morning a couple of missionaries in jail. And they turn their jail experience into a feast. I'm going to argue this morning that the passage we're going to see in Acts 16 is going to say this to us. When we start trusting in where God has us, it allows us to look outside of ourselves and bring others into the joy of salvation. Let me say it again. This is, if you're listening to anything, here's the major point this morning. When we start trusting in where God has us, it allows us to look outside of ourselves and bring others into the joy of salvation. Here we are, Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 40. This is an amazing passage. So please pay attention as we look at God's word together this morning. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out 
and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. The word of the Lord. We're just joining us. Welcome. I'm sad to say we've been going through Acts all winter and spring, and this is the end of the series um, as we move into Psalms this summer. However, you come at an amazing time. This is a great passage and probably one of my favorites in all of Acts. If you don't know, this book is written by Luke, a companion who's been traveling uh, with these guys. He's actually from Philippi. And he, again, has written the book of Luke, which documents about Jesus' life, and here, the book of Acts, after Jesus' ascension, to give encouragement to his friend that there is confidence in believing in this gospel message, the good news. And here we are, 20 years after Christ's ascension. The good news of Christ's life and his death and resurrection has spread into Jerusalem, to the area surrounding Jerusalem, and here and now it is going out into the farthermost parts of the earth. And here this troop of guys, these missionaries are far from home. They've been led by the Spirit in a place they didn't think they were going to go, crossing the Aegean Sea, and now into northern Greece, closer and closer to the heart of the Roman Empire. And they've really tried to be low-key, right? They went outside the city to to meet other God-fearers, people with Jewish backgrounds, and they've led Lydia to Christ. But then, in going over there again, they were confronted by this slave girl that was possessed by a spirit that followed them around. And finally, after days of being, you know, her shouting out at them, Paul casts the spirit out of her, and it causes the city to go in upheaval. And in response to this, they're stripped, they're beaten, and they're put into jail. You've got to wonder at this point, if you're Paul and Silas, how is this project going? So far we have Lydia, a slave girl, and now we're in jail. If you've grown up in the church This story might be very, very familiar to you, and it just doesn't surprise you anymore when you hear it again. But I just want you to pretend like you might be hearing it for the first time. I love what John Stott says about this passage. It's a nest of improbabilities, the things that happen in this passage. Things that you would not expect. I, I don't know if you guys read this when you were younger. I read these books, you know, the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Do you guys ever remember those? Where you could read, and then they gave you options of what to do. And then you could turn the page to option A, option B, option C, right? And you're hoping that you chose the right option rather than you die or something like that, which happens to Choose Your Own Adventure. When I read this passage and think about the decisions I would make along this passage, maybe if you read it, decisions you would make along this passage, these would not be the choices I would make. Example, here they are in jail, in stocks, not a comfortable thing to be in, and they're not complaining, they're singing. Love what the early church father, Tertullian, said about this. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. 
Here, Paul and Silas, they actually believe this message. That the one that they serve, Jesus Christ, suffered. And they can suffer too. Knowing that he conquered sin and death. And they're united with him. That even in that place, even in their suffering, they're united with Christ and they can rejoice. Then this amazing thing happens. An earthquake. The jail doors open. They're free from their bindings. Right? And this is like choose your own venture number two. Right? If the jail door is open and I'm out of my bindings, I'm like, you're like, this is a miracle of God. This is a sign. I would leave. Right? This is the time to go. Right? But instead what happens is the passage then goes not to their escape, but instead it goes to this character, the jailer. Here is this one that put them in the stocks, a Gentile, probably a former Roman soldier, a veteran, many veterans were in Philippi, and this is the one they now concentrate on. You would think he should just get what he deserves, right? Why should we care about this character? And you see the kind of pressure he's under in the Roman world at that time. If you let prisoners escape, that meant you would get flogged publicly and then executed. And he's thinking, I'm going to take the honorable way out because the prisoners are probably gone because the jail doors are open and I am going to kill myself. It's a very interesting thing as we read this book of Acts and see them in this town of the city of Philippi. And you wonder how you gauge success. A merchant woman. A slave girl. A Gentile jailer. Is this the kind of people you need to start a movement in the Roman Empire? Maybe you're not very familiar with Christianity or maybe you have negative thoughts about Christianity. Let me just say this. The message of Christianity says this. Each person is incredibly valuable. They're worth our time and our care because they are made in the image of God. You might not see that with simply this merchant woman, the slave girl, and Gentile jailer, but these are the people that were on the outsides. Just think about Greek culture, for example. Aristotle, right, one of the great Greek philosophers. This is what Aristotle said about women. A woman is an unfinished man, left standing on a lower step in the scale of development who is only good for childbirth. That is the culture they are living in. That is where they are. And what does the God of the universe do? He has them go to Lydia, to a slave girl, 
and then to a person, a former Roman soldier, a Gentile. Each person is incredibly valuable, and they are worth our time and care. So what are they going to do? Here's their chance to get out free. The jailer will kill himself, and they'll have no one in their way, and they can just get out. No. Paul and Silas's mission did not stop when they were in jail. Their care of people's souls was still in the most difficult places. Their mission was still in a place that might seem impossible, that nothing was going to happen there, but even there, their mission was still before them. Eric Little, who maybe I mention a lot, but again, 1980, best picture about his life, uh, Chariots of Fire. He was a Scottish missionary. Uh, Eric Little in 1924 won the 400-meter dash in Paris, the Olympic Games. He's famous for refusing to run on Sundays. And then his race that he was favored in, he instead did the 400 instead of the 100-meter dash. And that movie is about him. But what the movie doesn't document, and many people do not know, that after the Olympics, Eric Little went back to China, where his family were missionaries. And during World War II, Eric Little and many were sent to a Japanese internment camp, and the Japanese were attacking China during the war. And many people that know of Eric Little's life say his greatest accomplishments was when he was in this jail. People that tell about Eric's life who were in that jail with him, they called him their Uncle Eric. Because in his time in the internment camp, he tutored young kids. He started sports activities. He refereed. And he even refereed on Sundays. Because he knew the kids loved to have fun. And it was there in that internment camp that Eric Little died. And he said to the doctor that was treating him, when you speak of me, give the glory to my master, Jesus Christ. Can we give glory to Christ even in the difficult places we find ourselves? It's amazing how in American culture we think, once I get to this place or get to that place, then I'll be able to serve. Then I'll be able to do the work that is necessary. Once I get my degree, then I can finally do the stuff I need to do. Once I get more of an income, then I can start serving. Once my kids get older and I don't have to st- can stop changing diapers, then I can finally do what I need to do. Once I get over this illness or this sickness, then I'll be ready to serve. You see, this passage shows that God uses these two where they are for his purposes for that jailer. In a hospital, 
You can serve and show Christ. Bruce Marker, think about him a lot today, one of our elders who died of cancer. It was amazing to see his life while he was getting cancer treatments in the hospital. He told everyone about Jesus. And he said, this is where I'm at. And I'm going to use this time that I'm here getting chemo treatment or in the hospital to show my love for Christ. Friends of your kids. Neighbors. Even those annoying people that you might think are holding you back. These are people made in God's image. The great irony here is these missionaries where you think Paul and Silas, they should be focusing on their own freedom, their own ability to now to get out, to go into the Roman world and tell as many people about Jesus. Instead, they don't do that. Instead, they see someone else in their slavery, this jailer. And they are after their freedom. Here's the thing, that's what the gospel does to people. The gospel shows us that Christ saw us even in horrible circumstances. He saw us as valuable, worth loving even to the cross, not an obligation. No, his goal was to love us even in the hardest places. As we move to the missionaries, let's move to the jailer. Imagine being that jailer and thinking they are gone. And then they say, no, we're still here. It makes sense that he would ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Maybe he had heard earlier in the day the slave girl who had been calling out, these men have the way of salvation. Maybe he was shocked from the great earthquake, which in Greek culture was a sign of a theophany, the gods coming to bring judgment. And maybe he's thinking, here are the gods bringing judgment upon me. Bring me salvation. Help me be safe. Maybe he's simply in shock and disbelief that these disciples, these apostles in the worst position are saying that they are free when he is in control of the situation and he is not. Who knows, it might be all the above that caused him to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Have you ever had the freak-out sweats? Do you know what I mean? The freak-out? Do you know what I'm talking about freak-out sweats? Um, that's when something goes really wrong, and you're like, oh, no. I remember uh, I worked on Capitol Hill, and uh, I was doing all the media for a congressman, and I lost the whole media database. Those were those sweats, Right? The feeling of my world is over. 
if you felt that, maybe a project at work, maybe even getting pulled over, a parent catching you, an investment going sideways, real trouble. Think of this jailer. The weight of the whole Roman Empire is upon him. And he knows what it means as a former soldier, as a veteran. It's no coincidence that Paul uses these words, believe in the Lord Jesus. See, the Lord is curious. It's the idea of a Greek understanding, Greek word of power, a ruler with authority. And here, Paul is saying to this jailer, here is actually the Lord, the one in authority, greater even than the Roman emperor. And he is also Jesus, meaning salvation. The very name has power. And all you have to do is believe in him and you will be saved. Have you ever thought of the power that you give things? Investments, your own esteem, your family? What happens when it's challenged? These missionaries attest, you can take away our freedom. You can take away our supposed goal of trying to speak to many, many people. You can put us in jail, but you cannot take away our security, our safety, our salvation. Because we know it is with the one who has died and rose from the dead. No matter where you put us, we are saved. And here, they are trying to give this jailer freedom. Even in this situation, there is salvation that comes from the one that conquered death, the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you doing with those lords in your life? Are you constantly trying to hold on to them? My 401k, my kids to be a success, people to like me, that I'd be esteemed in my work. And you're holding and holding and holding, and many times they slip through your fingers, and in the sense of trying to hold to them, you forget those that are actually around you that God has placed you with. Your own kids, your neighbors, your co-workers. What freedom. What freedom to believe in him, to know nothing can go away. And you see, when that freedom reaches that jailer, the transformation is radical. Sometimes we forget in this passage how radical it is. He takes them out of the jail cell, 
then takes them to his home with his family. I mean, these are kids, along, along people that were in jail. Oh, please come to my home. And I'm going to treat your wounds. And I'm going to feed you. What has happened to this jailer? His security has turned from anything else but Jesus Christ as his Savior that he can bring inmates back to his home and he can feast with them and heal their wounds because he knows where his security now lies. Do you want that kind of freedom? Where you no longer have to obsess about your money and your career and your kids' success? Would you open yourself up? And the thing is, when you do that, you can start seeing those that are around you. And then you can feast with the most unlikely people and rejoice with them. They cast their belief in God. And that allowed them to know the security is with him, even when having prisoners with them. It was Jesus that truly set the jailer free. Well, the list of surprises keep going. The, the apostles have to go back to jail. They, here, they're out of jail in his home, and then they voluntarily go back into jail. That's crazy. And you see in that attempt that they're simply not saying, we're not rebels trying to cause some societal revolution. No, we're showing that God and his kingdom can work within any system, any kind of place, that his kingdom is greater. That'll preach in today's age, will it not? Can God work no matter what president we have? Can God work no matter what persecution we have? Yes. And then we have the first sit-in, right? <laughs> the jailer's like, look, the magistrate says you can go free. But they say, no, we're staying here. Why? Because you can't treat Roman citizens this way. We deserve due process. Why do you think Paul and Silas do this? Maybe because they don't want this kind of abuse to happen to future Christians in the Roman world that are citizens. Maybe because they know there is goodness in the law that God sets up governments for hopefully justice and righteousness. And they are fighting for justice and righteousness within the government system that has been set up. Maybe they want these magistrates to be like the jailer. That they show them grace. That they might also say, what must we do to be saved? And they're trying to show them care and love and what Jesus has done in their lives. 
through the years in ministry, I have many times gotten together with um, guys who are not Christians that are married to Christian women that come to churches that I've served in. And I sit down with these men, we get together and we talk about Jesus and why they don't believe in Christ and all these things. And if I built enough trust, I usually say this to them. Have you ever thought the reason this woman who comes to our church still is married to you, still loves you, still is bearing with you, is because there is a God that's actually working in her life? That there is a supernatural power in her to love a person like you? That is what these men are doing. I can bear with those that abuse me, that hurt me. I can do those things because I know that I am secure in Christ. Please hear me. If you are in an abusive relationship with someone, you need to leave that relationship. <laughs> not saying get divorced and that you need to be in a safe place. That is incredibly important. That's the best way you can love that person. But if you are in a relationship with a non-Christian and you are married, and they are not physically abusive, not in a place where you feel unsafe, the way that you can show Christ's love is by bearing with them. I know that is hard. I cannot imagine. But again, that is the kind of power that Christ is saying that can happen in your life. Well, they don't leave right away. They, they tell them to leave the city, but in fact, they go back to Lydia's house, right? That's kind of really where the church starts in Philippi, in Lydia's house. And you would never believe what that early church might look like, right? Who is gathered together? Lydia and her family. Many argue the slave girl. Why would they include her in here? She's also become part of this community. And this Gentile jailer and his family. This is where the church takes form. And we see 15 years later, from prison, <laughs> Paul writes this church in Philippi. Philippians. And you might imagine he might be writing to Lydia's house where the church might still be gathering. And think about all of this in context of his coming there to Philippi, the people that came to faith, his jail time, all of this now in jail again in Rome. And this is what he says to the church in Philippians. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish 
in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What a community that took shape. See, when we start trusting in where God has us, it allows us to look outside of ourselves and to bring others into the joy of salvation. There's nothing worse for a church planter than showing up on Sunday morning wondering how many people will show up. You might not be in my world, but when I talk to other church planners, that's the thing, right? Are people going to come, right? And then you have maybe someone that's a supporter or a benefactor from outside time comes, comes and you only have like 20 people there, right? And then you say things to that person, they're on vacation, people are, right? It's not as bad as you think, right? Can you imagine the enslavement a church planter would have living that kind of life, constantly wondering, are we going to have enough people? Is it going to work? I got to get more and more people. I've lived that. I've lived that pressure. Do you know what the good news of the gospel has been doing in my life and in my heart? That God constantly tells me, and you don't, it doesn't matter how many people show up. You are loved, and you are my son. And you start, you see, when he starts just chipping, and that's what he did. He just starts chipping away at me. Chipping, chipping, chipping. Whispering in my ear, telling me, you are loved. You are free. You are my son. He might be saying that to you. And you see, when you allow him to do that work in your heart, it opens yourself up to more than just yourself, but to those that are around you. <laughs> if you would have told me this is what the church would look like after 10 years, you kind of people that are here, I would have said, that's not what I dreamt. Is that a bash to you? <laughs> Praise God. Because he knew better. He knew better. God knew better by putting Silas and putting Paul in a jail so that a jailer and his family would come to faith and they would be the start of a church in Philippi in the Roman world. And what would happen in Acts? What does it say? These apostles, through the message of the good news, turned the world upside down. Through a woman merchant, through a slave girl, through a Gentile jailer. 
through us, he can turn the world upside down. Isn't that good news, church? That's who we are as the church. And let us go to the people that are around us, no matter what hard situations you're in, God has placed them near you to tell them the good news that you are secure in him.